Welcome to the East Main Media Podcast, a series of conversations featuring leaders in a variety of subjects, including business, politics, media, and the arts. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com forward slash podcast. Now here's your host, Brian Brodeur. Well, everybody, I love having smart, talented, and well-connected people on our podcast here at East Main, and today we are guilty of that. I'm happy to welcome Mitch Slater from the successful podcast, Financially Speaking, with Mitch Slater. Mitch, thanks for being here. My pleasure, Brian, and I'm excited to be in a in a real podcast studio. As I was telling you before, my podcast, which I'm really excited about doing, is an H6 Zoom, a couple of microphones, some headphones, but it's getting the job done. And as an old radio guy being in any kind of studio, they asked me if I wanted to put the headphones on. Of course, it doesn't count unless you have <laughs> headphones on. I got, I got the cans on. So it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me here. Thank you. Yeah. As Seth Everett said to us on a previous episode, well, you know, everyone listens because of the expensive mics we're on. So, <laughs> you know, it's great. I'm happy to have you here. And you're doing a lot of podcasting and with a lot of interesting people. Would you just give me a quick download of what you're doing with the podcast? Tell me what it's all about. I had a radio show in the 90s, a financial radio show named Financially Speaking, which was syndicated in about five different markets out of 1050 WEVD in New York City. I really wanted to get into the podcast marketplace and kind of go where my expertise is, which has certainly been for 32 years in the financial service industry. The name Financially Speaking kind of gives me the ability to tie in money, tie in personal finance, tie in business, tie in marketing. Doesn't really matter who I talk to. There's there's always some sort of a connection. So when I debuted the show with Larry King, we brought it up and we talked about it. And I asked him about retirement, for example. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. So far, we've done 14 episodes in three months and it's off to a great start. And I just love being behind the microphone. So for me, this is a lot of fun. Well, you know a lot of interesting people, and you just mentioned Larry King. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with Larry. Well, my relationship with Larry King goes back to 1982. I was a senior at George Washington University, a radio TV major, which basically meant I was learning how to splice, which doesn't exist anymore. So, you know, wait, for the young people listening, that's with a razor blade and tape. Yes, tape and maybe a little chalk or something. Please, Please continue. So I was a radio TV major, so all throughout my days at GW, I was constantly doing internships, and I actually was an intern for a crazy radio jock that came to DC 101 in 1981, Howard Stern. Nobody knew him. I was the morning rip and read guy, and he came in, and that was a phenomenal four or five months. And I would go internship to internship. Finally, the last internship my senior year was with Charlie Rose, who at the time had a show that was kind of more like Phil Donahue and Oprah where they would bring in Jack Klugman or whoever, and, and we'd have a studio audience. And one day, Larry King was the guest. And as a radio guy, as someone who, obviously, I'm a music fan, so I mostly listen to music radio, but my parents loved Larry King, and he was on WOR in New York. And I started listening in college. I didn't even know that he was broadcasting three miles away from where I was in D.C. in Arlington, Virginia. And Larry was on, and I was just so fascinated, and I do exactly what they tell you to do when you want to really impress somebody. I said, Mr. King, I'm a broadcasting major at George Washington University. I would love to have lunch with you and learn from your experience. Larry said, meet me at the Palm, 4.30, Wednesday. That's it. And there I was, 
4.30 at Wednesday because Larry would hold court as he's been doing his whole life. He continues to do it in Beverly Hills at his bagel place. And we hit it off. We had just this incredible connection, mostly about baseball. I'm a New York Mets fan. Larry grew up in Brooklyn. I don't even think we talked that much about broadcasting. And towards the end of our lunch that turned into a dinner at the Palm, Larry said, I'm going to have my producer call you. We may have something. And about three or four weeks later, I got a call from the executive producer of The Larry King Show. And I interviewed for an all-night production assistant. And basically, at that point in 1982, the only people that were there during The Larry King Show, from 10 to 11, maybe the executive producer would be there because there'd you know, be Sinatra, or there'd be Reagan, or there'd be Carter, whoever. And then at 11 o'clock, it was just me sitting there answering the phones and the engineer. And I did that for two wonderful years. You know, when you're up all night, when you're on all night radio, you don't have much of a life during the day. Uh, And I think Larry was in between marriage three and four, if I have it right, something like that. And we just hung out. And I used to go to his apartment and we'd watch sports together. And of course, Larry knew the owner of the Redskins, Jack Ken Cook, the owner of the Orioles, Edward Bennett Williams, the owner of the Caps, Abe Pollen. And before we went to work, most evenings, I would be at a hockey game, a basketball game, a baseball game in Baltimore, and I was Larry's protege, so to speak, and had the opportunity to sit in the dugout with Earl Weaver in the playoffs, and Larry was asked to do TV, and we did a show for Post Newsweek that aired on WPIX on Channel 11, and it aired once. It was a pilot. It was terrible. The concept was turn Larry King into Johnny Carson, which was the exact wrong concept. I was the PA, but the guy who was the executive producer was about to start a game show. And, you know, eventually I left Larry King with his blessing and moved out to Southern California to give that world a run. Yeah. Wow. And we've kept in touch. It's been well, of course. It, yeah, it's been forty years, and Larry and I have kept in touch over the years. We've had lunch, have a drink, a dinner, whatever it is, breakfast, mostly a bagel, usually, but we have kept in touch. And people can say whatever they want about Larry King. You like him, you don't like him, but in my book, he's still the best interviewer that I've ever been around for one simple reason: he was curious. You mentioned relationships, so. As advice for young people listening, coming up in the broadcast biz, what is your perspective on relationships in business or relationships in starting out in careers? That's a great question. And tomorrow I will go to College Park, Maryland to watch my daughter get her journalism degree from the University of Maryland. So the timing is great and she will begin her career in June at USA Today in New York. So... I've had a little bit of an opportunity within the house to kind of give my advice. And I think at the end of the day, and I'm going to credit my friend Ted Rubin with this commentary, it's ROR. Life is not ROI. It's not the return on your investment. It's the return on your relationship. And that, to me, matters the most. And the only people that can control the relationship is you and the other person, but ultimately it's you. You have to develop the relationship. You have to stick yourself out there, but really find the common ground. And I told my daughter from day one, if you really want to work in this field, you're going to have to take risk. But if you really want to stick with it, you've got to start developing the relationships. And I think my wife has been an excellent role model. She was a social worker when I met her, but she really wanted to be a journalist. 
and she had her mind set on Time Magazine from day one. And she's now been there off and on roughly 30 years. She started from the ground floor as an internship at Philly Magazine with no journalism degree, no journalism background, and worked her way with four or five different newspapers and magazines before she wound up at her dream job. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. Visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. Speaking of relationships, you know a bunch of interesting people. I want to spotlight a few. Sure. Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. James Orsini. Yep. Tell me about your connection with those guys, and they're doing fascinating things, and you've Absolutely. sort of connected with them. Well, <laughs> Gary is definitely one of the most interesting people I've ever met. I don't even know how to describe him to anybody that doesn't follow him because it's impossible. He goes at warp speed. But Gary has been that way since he was a little kid. I first knew of Gary because I grew up in the town of Springfield, New Jersey, where his father started his liquor store, that Gary really turned into this $100 million wine library business by saying, you know, Dad, there's this thing called the Internet. And this was a kid that failed out of high school, failed out of college, but was the kid doing garage sales every weekend, which he's still doing (laughs) to this day. In fact, last weekend, he was still out there doing things like that. And I was introduced through a professional connection to Gary, and it was coincidental because my brother, who was in the wine business at the time, who was a CMO for a company that made synthetic corks for wine, was doing a big conference in Napa, and their keynote speaker was Gary Vaynerchuk. And literally three weeks before, I had just been introduced to Gary, so I used the opportunity to go out to Napa and spend a little time with him and get to know him. And he's the real deal. The business that he has is an incredible business. I've watched VaynerMedia grow from a little embryonic egg of Gary and AJ, his brother, not even at an office in the wine library, I mean, basically in a basement somewhere, to 200 million, 800 employees, literally opened up an office in Singapore today, um, one of the largest digital marketing agencies. But the one thing they needed was an adult in the room. And after about four or five years, when James Orsini came in, and they had that adult in the room, and then they brought in Claude Silver, who was a guest on a future show of mine, who is the chief heart officer of this company, which in the old world they called it HR, but she is really a mentor, and it's all about the 800 heartbeats, and that's a fascinating story. Upcoming um, guest, you said? Yes, it's an upcoming wow, guest, check uh, that probably out, yeah. next month. Her background from running Outward Bound programs to having a surf shop in San Francisco to moving to London and getting to the advertising business is also a great story. But all of these things have the relationship gene in common. Because when I get to know somebody, I'm just so curious. I want to learn more about them. I I really want to know what kind of music you like. I want to know what kind of food you like. I want to know about your family. I want to know about what makes you tick. And, you know, meeting Gary has led me in so many wonderful, wonderful ways to meeting James and, and so many other people that I've met. And it's the same thing with the broadcasting world and, and Larry King and, and how that led me to things. And we'll probably get to it in the music world as well. Well, thank you for the segue. That's next. <laughs> Continuing the list of interesting people that you know. 
now. Two for Tuesday. Yeah, so hold on. (laughs) I'm going to ask you about Steve Van Zandt, but... Before we get there, and of course Bruce is a connection yeah. to this, yeah. before we get That's there, fine. I would like you to tell me and our listeners about your mom dancing at the show. On Wednesday, my mom, B. Slater, turns 92 years old. I Cheers knew, to that. I knew that I was a lucky kid growing up. My mom and I have always had a very special relationship. We were probably more like each other than my brother, who is more of the zen in the family, and my sister, who was a teacher and, you know, just a wonderful person, but just different DNA. My mom is like her father was, who lived to 97, who emigrated from Russia when he was 10 years old and was, for a Jew, a bit of a ham. And my love of getting out there really came from both my mom, my grandfather, and my aunt. When my dad passed away around 10 years ago, you don't know what's going to happen. My dad died very suddenly. I was in California when it happened with my son. And I have to credit my wife for really getting my mom off the floor and giving her something to immediately do. So immediately we started on Tuesday nights, my mom would come over and she would make dinner for the kids and something for me before I ran out to the board meeting and did that for a couple of years. And between that and getting involved with my sister's family and my brother's family and my niece, I guess her celebrity career really started there. My mom's always had a saying, you never know. And my niece, Fanny, who was trying to be an actress, followed a similar arc to me, actually, but was really more of a foodie. And she was in Wilmington, North Carolina. And my mom, of course, watches Rachel Ray every day. And Rachel Ray announces she's having a cookbook competition. So my mom, at the time, was maybe 87, 88, sends a text to Fanny. Hey, Fanny, just watched Rachel Ray. You ought to try out for this cookbook competition because you never know. And Fanny, who is incredibly creative herself, put this video together. And to make a long story short, went through months and months and thousands of people. And it wound up five people to three people to the final show on Rachel Ray. I think it was just about three years ago or four years ago now when Fanny was announced uh, the winner. My mom was in the audience and she immediately jumped up on stage and she's hugging Rachel Ray. And Rachel Ray was having such a great time with her. Her celebrity beyond that, I have to really credit Steve Van Zandt. Steve Van Zandt is probably one of the nicest celebrities I've ever met. So before one of his concerts, when Bruce was kind of in between about to go on Broadway, I started doing videos with my mom and interviewing her, just YouTube videos about what was it like during the war? Tell me about the Kennedy assassination, because her memory is incredible. So I put a Steve Van Zandt T-shirt on her, Steven saw the video, and backstage, this is about two years ago, he comes up to me and he goes, I got a really good idea. Give me your email. And I get an email, and it's a script. And he wants my mom to get on stage in front of 3,000 people and introduce the show. Oh, cool. I, of course, tell my brother and sister about this. Oh, she'll never do that. Well, obviously, I know my mom really well. I went over there, I put the script on a teleprompter app on my iPad, I said, read this. And and she's reading it, and she's reading it, and then about halfway through, I think she realized, and she just hit it out of the park, a tremendous rehearsal, a lot of fun. Stephen's wife, who really was my connection into Stephen through the nonprofit world, Mm -hmm. through one of your past guests, David Wish, on Little Kids Rock. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's how I met Maureen, and that's how I got involved in Stephen's world. And... 
it was just an incredible night. And Stephen called her Queen Bee on her 90th birthday. He made this video that he put out there. And a few months after her big debut on the theater at St. George's in Staten Island, I get a Facebook message from a neighbor of my mother's who said, somebody reached out to me to find out who that woman was that was on stage with Stephen Van Zandt because their cousin is a casting director and its ad agency is looking for a Jewish yenta to be in an ad campaign. I mean, you know, how bizarre is that? So I, of course, within seconds, see a phone number and call it. And I spoke to the casting agency, Paul Bernstein in New York. And he said, oh, my God, we saw that video with your mother because there was some TV. Rolling Stone wrote about it. <laughs> and I called her up and I said, Mom, are you sitting? She goes, what am I going to do now? <laughs> I said, well, you've got an audition. It was like a Woody Allen movie. I mean, literally, we're sitting in this room and there's like 40 or 50 old Jewish women sitting there. And one by one, they go in the room and they're supposed to tell a joke. And my mom goes in and I said, Mom, don't even worry about the joke. Just be you. And she told the joke, but she told it in a very different way. And we were in that room because they let me in there for maybe 25, 30 minutes. And by the end, people were taking selfies with her and hugging with her. She obviously got the gig. It was for J-Date. They used this picture of her on a computer sitting in, in this interesting little pod. And basically the concept is that these Jewish yentas were working 24 hours a day to help you to get the right match <laughs> for maybe this, for their son or their grandson or their granddaughter. And, you know, it was like her coding is filthy or something like that. She's the back end. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and what we didn't know is this was a big billboard campaign. So all of a sudden in New York, these billboards are popping up everywhere. And I took her out to Brooklyn, um, Flatbush Avenue, right above Junior's Cheesecake, mm -hmm. giant billboard, and there she is. And probably she would say that's one of the great memories to see something like that. Sure. And getting back to your original question, so that led Stephen and Maureen just about three weeks ago to email me out of the blue and say, listen, I have a great idea. Stevie's got his album release show coming up in Asbury Park. I want your mom to be a go-go dancer. How's she doing? <laughs> And I went over and I said, all right, Mom, here we go again. What do Are I got to do? Down? I said, you're going to be dancing as a go-go dancer with Maureen Van Zant, her sister, and some of their friends on one of Stephen's new song, Soul Twisting, at the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park. Let's go. And we went. Now, what she didn't know that I knew was Bruce Springsteen was going to be there right. and come out at the end of the show. What I didn't know is that after my mom did this incredible thing on stage, dancing, and the place was going crazy, and Bruce came and he sang this, the three songs with Stephen and 10th Avenue Freeze Out and, and two of Stephen's songs. And then Bruce walks off stage, and of course, because this is Bruce, mm -hmm. comes over to her, gives her a hug. You were terrific. They have this whole conversation. My mom was able to get a picture with him, and he couldn't have been nicer. So I guess the moral of that story really is, as Gary Vaynerchuk once wrote, what's the ROI of your mom? And for me, the ROI of my mom has been amazement, has been expect the unexpected. But if you don't have a positive attitude and you don't wake up every day and get out, whatever it is, even if you get out and go to CVS or she goes to King's or she goes to Tommy to do her hair or she goes to, you know, Allen's to pick up some chopped liver, whatever it is, she gets out. And she wakes up every day and finds a way 
to quote a Bruce Springsteen song, A Reason to Believe. There you go. Well, I would highly recommend searching out your social media, if it's public, with that video of your it mom is, on stage. It is. It is. It's, it's pretty incredible. It's great. Um, yeah, it, it really is. It really was a fun night. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for part two of the conversation. This has been a production of East Main Media, hosted by Brian Brodeur. Special thanks to audio engineer J.P. Conk and senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.